Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to another episode of Podcast on Fifth Ave. I'm Taylor Haas. You're Danny Shirey. We're off after a two-week break. Uh, that was my fault. I just took some time off, went to both Taylor Swift concerts here, but we definitely have a lot to talk about. Uh, we're recording this Friday evening. The We just got back, both of us, from Nashville. Um, I was there for the awards and then uh, you came and we were both there for the draft. We're going to talk about everything some other news some news that just came out today uh but we're gonna start with with the draft uh the penguins prospect pool obviously very weak this doesn't solve that you just wrote about that but um before i guess we get into talking about just like the prospect pool we should go down the list of of players they took uh this year in the draft and first round pick 14th overall the highest pick they've had in uh, since what Derek Pouliot yeah. uh, at number eight. It's a, it's a long time. Um, they uh, drafted Braden Yeager out of uh, the WHL, the Moose Jaw Warriors. If people were following around along with my uh, series of profiles I did after talking to guys at the combine, I wrote I think it was fifteen or sixteen total. The very first one I did was Yeager. Um, so there, it was the Penguins are very interested in him from the combine. They took him out to dinner. So this isn't anything new. It wasn't like they, it wasn't like, Oh, all their, their favorites are off the board, but they went above and beyond the, with this guy from the beginning. Um, I know the reaction from fans, maybe not that great. Cause I think people wanted more of like, um, like swing for the fences, like high risk, high, but very high reward kind of guy. Maybe like a Gabe Perot. Braden Yeager isn't that. He's very, um, I feel like he is a safer pick, he, reliable to a center, but he also does have that kind of lethal shot. He can play wing too. He has played wing. He definitely prefers center though. Um, lethal shot. The only real um, weakness that stands out is that he needs to get stronger. Um, I think he's something like 170 pounds, uh, five foot 10 or five, five 11, depending on different places you look. Um, but he's 18. A lot of kids you look at who are uh, in that draft eligible kids, they, they all, a lot, so many of them need to get bigger. So that's not um, necessarily a huge knock, but just what do you think of the, of the Jaeger pick? Yeah, I, I wasn't as high on him as, as definitely not as high on him as the Penguins seem to be. I, I don't think it's like some outlandish or horrendous pick. I mean, he, he was 
on a, on a lot of draft boards, he was in that, you know, anywhere from like the eight to 20 range, depending on where you were looking at. So that, that was right in, in the thick of where he was kind of expected to go. Um, I, I would have liked to see them take a, a little bit of a, a harder swing there and maybe go for someone like Gabriel Perot. Um, of course, he ended up falling all the way to 23 or 24, going to the New York Rangers. Um, the, the one thing with Perot is that he, he produced a lot with the U.S. national team development program last year and actually set the, the single season point record for the program. Uh, super skillful player, but the knock on him is his skating, and that's a little bit of a concern. Now you could go back and forth there, but then you start to think about it a little bit and you watch the two, like if you watch Perot play and then you watch Jaeger play it. Jaeger just looks in the way he plays. He looks like he would fit in really well in the Penguin system. I know people always freak out like, oh, yeah, they don't need any more Smurfy little guys. But like he 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 just has that. I, I don't even know how to describe it. He just he just looks like he would fit in and he, he fits the Penguins um, mold that, that Mike Sullivan loves to have. The, the guy can shoot the puck. I mean, he, he probably had one of the top three or four best shots among this draft class. What's interesting, though, um, is that this past season, his goal total actually dropped quite a bit from the previous season. Um, but that. Well, yeah, but it, it, you're expecting that to go up considerably in your draft year. But the, the caveat there is that he he told us that he he focused a little bit more on playmaking. And, and as so, it was evident in, in his assist totals, his assist total shot up uh, in, a, in a big way. Big I don't double. know. That, 25 to 50. Right. So. Yeah. That is is a very real thing. Obviously, I don't I don't know that he projects as some great playmaker in the NHL. But with that being said, I think that over the course of time, if he starts to lean <clears throat> lean into his greatest strength, which is which is his shot, um, you know, there there is something there. I don't know that I project him and you know i i'm not some professional scout so i take my projections with a grain of salt but i see him more as like a middle six winger who who can fill the net i don't necessarily know that i see him driving play a whole lot um but obviously these guys are 18 it's going to be three four years before we see him in pittsburgh if he does end up getting there um but all things considered i think the penguins could have done a lot worse with that pick yeah, he, he did acknowledge, I mean, when he spoke at the Combine, um, you know, talking about how he had the focus on playmaking, he also did acknowledge, like, I also do need to just shoot the puck more. Like, he wasn't really making excuses for, like, the gold totals going down. Um, he said his shot in particular, he uh, likes to model his shot after Nathan McKinnon. Um, he said just the way he, like, jumps into it and the quickness of the release. Mm-hmm. Um at the draft, when he talked to him, like after he got drafted, he said he models his overall game after Sidney Crosby. When he was asked that question at the combine, he didn't say Sid. Uh, he said he said Patrice Bergeron and Jonathan Taves. Um, number one, because just they're they're good two way play because you know that is his game. But then also he talked about how good they are in face offs and how that because that's just such a big thing for for him, obviously, um, as a center. But he does have that ability to play wing, too. He played wing growing up, up, up until he got to Moose Jaw in the HL. So um, we might see him come in as a wing. A lot of guys like that, if they play center, but they have the ability to play wing, when they get called up they, for the first time, they don't they don't break into the NHL as a center. Um, 
even if they project to be that eventually, just just much easier. Like Teddy Bluger was that way. Teddy Bluger, obviously a center, but when he came, he played wing four. So when he came in um, to Pittsburgh, he started as a wing. Moving on from here, uh, so they didn't have a second round pick. Thank Ron Hextall, Kyle Granlin for that. Um, they had a third round pick. They uh, took a defenseman, um, Emil Pianiniemi, out of. Um, Say that three times fast. All right. <laughs> um, he, uh, he slipped the last season between, um, he plays for the, the system carpet um, in Finland. He split the season between their main team in the top Finnish league and, and then um, the junior 20, um, affiliated the, the junior league. He, he just looks to be more of a, of a project for sure. Um, I, and with with him being in Finland, I think it's nice that he's going to be able to, to develop against grown men in the top league over there. That's always a massive plus when you're drafting a player out of Europe. Um, you get to see them have that experience playing against uh, grown men. But he, he, he has decent size already. He's six foot two, 175 pounds. Obviously needs to put on a little bit of weight before he makes the NHL, but that's not the biggest concern right now. Um, Penguins director of amateur scouting, Nick Pryor, said that Pianini Moves well, really good with the puck, smart. Gets you out of your own end clean. His transition game is very good, and he has a size to go with that. We were really excited uh, where we where we got him. Uh, he said his favorite player growing up was Pavel Datsuk, so not a defenseman at all um, because of the skill. But he said right now a defenseman he like kind of looks up to is Mirai Skinnin um, with the stars. He thinks his skating and uh, puck moving abilities are, are pretty similar to to Heiskinen. Um, it, it's hard to say like, was this like a reach or was this like, did he drop to him? Because you look at the rankings for guys in the mid ranges and I mean, some major rankings don't even bother like this late in the draft, like third round. Um, but the ones that do, it just so varied. Like you can only watch these guys so much. Um, so they got him at number 91. You look at like where he was ranked. Hockey news had him 76. Um, the lowest elite prospects had him 135. Um, no, elite prospects had him 135. The lowest was McKean's hockey at 191. Uh, all over the board. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to say. Like, is this a good pick with the third round? Because who's who's to say? Yeah, statistically speaking, uh, I, I know the uh, NHL E models, which are the uh, statistical models that take into account a, a player's production relative to their league. Um, and they also take historical data from previous development patterns from every skater who's ever been drafted to come up with probabilities on whether that player will become a um a regular NHL player, meaning they carve out at least a 200 plus career uh, game career for themselves. And they will also get a probability as for their chances to become a star in the NHL based on their, their point production. With that being said, it's, it's a little bit murkier for defensemen, especially defensemen who don't put up a ton of points, because obviously that's a little bit different and defenders can impact the game positively without putting up points. With that being said, a lot of those guys in the NHL who who do a lot of those good things that don't put up a lot of points. They did still put up a decent number of points, um, you know, when they were playing junior or, or before they were drafted or before they came over to North America. So that's something to consider there. Um, but I will just say I'm a big fan of this pick because one, 
you never really know what you're going to get after you get out of the first round anyway. But I, as the Penguins were making their selections, I was trying to do some like very brief scouting of these players. And the very first game I went to watch of his, he scored a goal. It was like a brilliant goal off a set face-off play. He jumped right into the slot behind the defensive coverage. Uh, as soon as his team won the face-off, he was hit with a pass and buried it. He proceeded to do the Evgeny Kuznetsov bird celebration as he skated right in front of the opposition's bench. And it looked like he was kind of hollering at him. So I, I really like the energy with that pick, uh, or the energy on that play. And, uh, you know, it, again, we're, we're talking about a three, four, five year timeline here on, on someone like this, especially who seems like their talent and skill is a little bit more raw right now. So again, time will tell. Yeah. Uh, next pick was in the fifth round. Uh, they took Mikhail Ilian. Uh, Ford out of Russia. I, he spent half the season in the KHL. He's in the KHL, and then he was in the MHL, which is just a KHL's um, junior league. Um, so I, I, to get a guy who had pretty regular KHL time all the way in the fifth round seems like a pretty big win. But, I mean, you want to talk about timelines. But I, it, drafting a Russian is hard because you never know when they're going to come over. You can't really bring him over for, like, the summer. He's not coming to development camp. Development camp, by the way, July 1st through the 3rd. He's not coming. That's not necessarily a big, like, just, like, the geopolitical situation. It's because, like, the KHL teams, like, these guys over there, they're with their teams, like, throughout the summer. They're doing workouts and camps and stuff over the summer over there. So, typically, you even, you know, when there's not a war in Russia, you're not, um, you're not seeing the Russian guys come over for the summer camps regardless. Um, but as far as the timeline goes, the, so, you know, the way most of this works where you draft a player, it depends on where they come from, their age when they were drafted, what league like they're coming from and what country. Um, and you have a timeline for, from when the draft happens to when you have to sign that player or you lose their rights. That doesn't exist with Russia, play Russian players, players drafted out of Russia because the NHL and the Ice Hockey Federation of Russia do not have a transfer agreement. So that means when you draft a player out of Russia, you keep his rights forever. Uh, like the Penguins still own the rights to Alex Pachersky, the goalie who played a game with them in 2000. They just, they just last forever. So he, he can take as much time as he needs. But I know you, you, you wrote about um, Ilian. Just what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, he put up two points in what was it, 26 KHL games, and they were both assists, and everybody's like, oh, great, like they got some dude who can't produce. Let's consider the fact that this this 18-year-old who, who probably started the season and wasn't even 18 at the time had carved out a role for himself on a KHL team, that the KHL is one of the best leagues in the world, and there are plenty of grown men in that league. So the fact that he was able to to get 26 games in the KHL, regardless of whether he produced or not, um, is encouraging. He did produce down in the MHL pretty well. Not much of a, a shooter or a, a goal scorer. He prefers to... to He's more of a pass first guy. He likes to hang on to pucks. He's he's actually really I I believe he has some pretty legitimate playmaking upside. Um, he he makes some pretty good slippery passes. These hook passes that he's just really good at changing the angle and, and finding lanes that might not uh, have been there uh, otherwise. Again, he he's a fifth round pick. 
he he does have some limitations. He's not the greatest skater in the world, um, but some of the scouting reports that I read on him did say that he he's very engaged all over the ice. He's responsible defensively, and um, you know he's he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he uses his body really effectively to shield the puck, which only augments his playmaking ability. Um, I don't know it. I, I struggle here to go too in depth as we get further into these later rounds because it's like you really have like this much of an opinion on these guys, but yeah. just trying to trying to trying to provide as much insight as possible within reason before we just start repeating. Oh yeah, it's four or five years before we see them, and they could be good, they might not be, but there there's something there. He needs some work though. Yeah, uh, in the sixth round, that's the next pick. They took a Cooper. Cooper Foster, forward prospect. Out of the OHL, he played for the Ottawa 67s. Uh, Good, you know, play on both sides of the puck. Um, But what Nick Pryor, the Penguins, liked about him, they're talking about his untapped offensive potential. So they they see something in him and they think he could put up more points than he was putting up in the O this past season. And this past, he's kind of, looking into him, it seems like he's kind of a late bloomer. Like he didn't... um, this past year was his first full year in the OHL. He didn't make the t- he did he didn't make Ottawa two years before that. Like a lot, a lot of these guys coming in, they have two years, two full years OHL experience. Um, he didn't. Uh, the yeah, but the the thing they it's the untapped offensive potential. They're talking about how he um, he mostly played a bottom six role, mostly at center. He can play wing as well. I looked into, I found, I looked through like all the line combinations of auto use um, last year towards the last, like maybe month or so of the season, he was pretty regularly up on Ottawa's top line on the left wing. Um, but he seems to be more of a center. Uh, any thoughts on Cooper Foster? Great name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and, it's hard to say uh, the, the rankings again, we're in the sixth round. There are not that many ranking services ranking guys this deep in the draft um i mean the, the so the penguins got him that the number pick they got him was 174 the two websites that actually did rank him it's like plus minus 50 where they got him um uh draft prospects hockey had him 126 fc hockey had him 224 um fc hockey actually had a scouting report on foster the call him an effective two-way forward who excels in the details of the game. He might not have standout skill or elite skating ability, but he compensates with strong off-the-puck play and high-compete level. Offensively, he's a capable playmaker and shooter, although he might not excel in open space. So that's Cooper Foster. And then the, to close it out, the Penguins had two picks in the seventh round. Uh, neither of them were their own. The first one was the one they got in the Jared McCann deal. The other one was a pick that last year, the Penguins had a uh, seventh round pick. They just traded it with Florida that year for a pick this year. That's just something you see when, I don't know, Florida wanted, they, they, they saw a guy they liked in the seventh round. The Penguins are like, we don't really feel too strongly about any of these guys and we want to go home. Let's just trade. Um, so they had two. Uh, and they took two more Finns. So they have half their draft classes finished. Um, there are 15 total Finns drafted of the uh, 224 players. The Penguins got 20% of them. So these Finns, um, the first one, they got a winger, Emil Jarvinty. 
Jarvenzi? No, it's Jarvenzi. Jar- this is the first yeah. syllable in the in Finnish. Um, <laughs> uh, and sorry, the Nick Pryor did acknowledge like we didn't go out looking for Finns. It's not like they see anything special about Finnish players and the way they develop. You said it just worked out that way. Um, Jarvenzi, he played all over last year. Um, he played 15 games in the top Finnish league. Um, Saipa is the team. Um, 19 games in the second in the second tier professional league with Kuvi, and then 21 games with um, the Ilvis and the U20 Junior League. So he played a lot of the season against grown men at different levels, um, and then a lot against um, his own comp- level of competition, um, his own age group. When he was in the Junior League, he had no trouble scoring eight goals, 11 assists in 21 games, but that really fell off when he was at the pro um, level. He had one goal in 15 games in the top league and then four goals, three assists, assists in 19 games in the second league. Big reason for that is probably that he's small. He needs to get bigger. Um, five foot ten, so not too egregious, but he doesn't have the height. But he also doesn't have the, the strength to make up for that. He's only 167 pounds. Um uh, Dauber Prospects, pretty major prospect site, they called him an undersized but quick and electric winger. His feet are fast and he has a great motor, but his stride lacks power. And while his first steps are very quick, he doesn't possess the greatest top speed. Jarvanti has good hands, notably in tight spaces, but he often relies too much on his skill and still needs to learn when to simplify his game. He flashes great playmaking ability at times, but is very inconsistent. And he also makes a lot of questionable decisions with the puck. Uh, prior called him undersized winger, offensive minded. They like a shot and it's playing the offensive zone. And really, with him, it's just about um, working on his defensive game. Um, and obviously, he also uh, needs to get bigger. A little bit of a pedigree here. Um, uh, his brother, Roby, was drafted in the second round by the Senators in 2020. He's been in the AHL the last years. And their dad, Marty, Retired in 2016. He had a 22-year professional career, mostly in Finland. There's a year in Sweden in there, and then one year in the Canadian system where he played one game in Montreal and then um, the rest of the year in the AHL. But, I mean, you anyone you're getting in the seventh round is obviously going to be flawed. So, like, okay, yeah, he needs to get better in his own end but and get bigger. But it, for the... For the value in the seventh round, this seems great, especially when you look at the rankings. Um... So, I mean, the actual pick number they got him, 217 overall. TSN's Craig Button had him 62. Draft Prospects Hockey had him 69. Flow Hockey had him 93. Smart Scouting ranked him 96. And FC Hockey had him 100. So, it uh, seems like this guy slipped to the Penguins. Seem- what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, uh, yeah, like you said, the, there's obviously something that caused him to fall all the way to the to the the seventh round. But with that being said, I I can't ignore those rankings either. It would be different if someone had him at like 65 and someone else had him at 250 or, or whatever it may be. But the fact that he several rankings have him in that cluster right there, no, this doesn't mean that he's going to become a. a guaranteed to become an NHL player or even an impact guy. But once you're getting that late into the draft, you're, you're looking for value. And it seems like they definitely got it out of him. For sure. Uh, the other Finn they got uh, big defenseman, Callie Kangas. 
six foot four, 205 pounds that, and I mean, he's 18. He's not like an overage or, um, first year of eligibility. He, so, I mean, another Finn coming from Finland, he's never played professional hockey yet. Um, he's only been at the U 20 junior level. He's in Joker at system. Um, this past year he had one goal, eight assists, 40 penalty minutes and a plus 15 rating in 42 games. Another guy, you look at the rankings where, uh, the ones that actually did rank him. Draft prospects hockey had him 165. FC hockey had him 230. The only the draft only goes up to 224. They got him 223. Um, prior, he said Cali Kangas is a big defenseman, extremely hard to play against. His skating is going to need to improve. He can move the puck. He's hard to play against. So he's one of those guys that makes it harder on the other team. So it sounds like he's hard to play against because he said that three times. But I, I mean, the size, you can't teach the size. You might as well take a swing at this guy and hope he can pan out as an actual hockey player. Cause they could definitely use a big defenseman in their system. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a seventh round D man who doesn't <laughs> produce and is described as being hard to play against that very well may be the case, but I also know that that terminology is used when teams acquire defensemen who just aren't good. Um, <laughs> so we'll see where it goes. Might be hard to play with too. Callie Hanks. <laughs> Callie yeah, great, not, great not, name. Not I, I, I love, I love <laughs> the names of this draft class. Like I, th- there were a lot of good names in this draft, though. Oh, there's like Marcel, Marcel. That was yep, great first name. Team last year. I forget, I forget who te- who took him. There's a Yegor, Yegorov. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of crazy names. You don't got to get into the names. That's it for the draft class. So, oh, development camp coming up. Yeager is going to be there. Um, Piani Niemi is going to be there because he actually did come from the to the draft. Um, Cooper, Cooper Foster's coming. Um, Russian Mikhail Ilian, obviously not coming. Um, the two Finns, we're not sure. The last two Finns that we just talked about, Jarvantine, Kangas, um, we don't know if they're coming. Uh, Pryor wasn't sure yet either at the draft because neither of them came over from Finland for the draft. And with uh, development camp starting July 1st, that's, that's very short notice to bring them over. Logistically, yeah. um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they speak English. I feel like most Finns typically do pretty well. Pianiami, obviously very not co- comfortable with it. It's still maybe better than Pustinen, So he's a, he's a man of few words. Man, yeah, maybe that. He, he probably speaks English fine. He just doesn't want to. But anyway. No, I, 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 <laughs> thought he was, I thought he spoke fine. He just didn't have a lot to say. That's another, I think, a fish thing. They just don't, like, like culturally, they just don't talk a whole lot. Either way, got to brush up on your finish down. Um, number of fins coming into the system, but we spent way too much, to 25 minutes on the draft class. We're going to take a break. And we're going to talk about an actual NHL player. Imagine that. <laughs> just stay with us. Rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Alright, we're back. 
Uh, the Penguins actually made a trade before day one of the draft. Uh, before we get into that, very few trades across the NHL at the actual draft. I feel like the draft is typically chaotic with the trades. Didn't see any. Wasn't that busy? Uh, the Penguins made a yeah, deal. I, I think it was. I think it was the first time since 2007 there wasn't a, uh, a trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the picks. There were a couple trades involving like just picks, like swapping right, picks. Right, right. The, Penguins, the Penguins made one of those with the was it the Rangers? They swapped the 90th pick for the 91st pick, and then for doing that, the Rangers also tossed in a seventh next year. So you see a lot of stuff like that, but not. Um, not picks of play trades of players this year, but Riley Smith, the Penguins got Riley Smith from the defending Stanley Cup champion Golden Knights, and it only cost for a 2024 third round pick. And the specific third round pick is the one that they got from Vegas in the Teddy Bluger deal. So really, the trade is Teddy Bluger for Riley Smith. When you look at it that way, not bad. Um, Vegas's motivation, it's it's a cap dump um, because they're up against the cap. Kyle Dubas talked about how the Penguins might go bargain bin shopping like this, where you take on deals from players, from teams that are looking to shed salary. And that's what this is. Riley Smith, he makes $5 million, um, 32 years old. Uh, the the Golden Knights, they just went and gave that money to Barbashev. So that's why this happened when it did. But you didn't... I- I, before we get into that, I have to make a comment on that Barbashev deal. Yes, he was amazing in the playoffs. That much is true. And he'll probably be fine if the Golden Knights continue to stick him on the wing with Jack Eichel. With that being said, the guy was playing out of his mind relative to what he's done for his entire career. Five by five for him is going to look crazy in a year and a half. I promise. When, when the salary cap goes up like normal, maybe it doesn't look that bad. Um, that's con- that, that's considering that the cap is going to go up. I uh, I am bearish on Ivan Barbashev. Okay. Anyway, okay. Riley Smith is why well, we're quick, why we're here. Yeah. Quick couple basics on him before you talk about Smith. Uh, Thirty-two left-handed shot, six foot one, one hundred eighty-five pounds. He has two years left on his uh, current contract. Five million cap hit. So like no no salary retained by by Vegas. Um, he had a 12-team no-trade list as part of his contract this season. That is reduced to a 10-team no-trade list this coming season. And then after that, it goes down to an 18-team no-trade um, list. So you wrote about Riley Smith and his, his actual skill set and what he can bring. Just what, uh, what are the Penguins getting here? Yeah, so one of the things that Smith excels at is his play off the rush. He can, he's typically one of the the top contributors in regards to rush offense, whether it's taking shots off the rush or making passes off the rush that lead to shots. Um, And I I found that especially interesting because two seasons ago, the Penguins were one of the best rush teams in the NHL, not only at uh, creating controlled zone entries, but then creating chances off of those controlled zone entries and obviously the rate at which they scored off the rush. Last season, it was interesting because over the offseason, Hextall was like, yeah, we want to make our transition game a little bit better. But then what ended up happening was the Penguins were nowhere close to the the, the rush team that they were the previous season. In fact, they were one of they were toward the bottom of the league in in the rate at which they generated chances off the rush. So I, I think this does the the Smith acquisition will help them in that regard and and will um, complement whoever he's playing with. I I 
have to assume it will probably be with Evgeny Malkin. I, I asked Mike Sullivan at the draft if if Smith's rush play was you know one of the biggest things that was enticing about bringing Smith in, and he said, "Yeah, absolutely. Part of you know we that's a big." component of, of the game that we want to play. And Evgeny Malkin's pretty, um, pre- obviously pretty skilled off the rush as well. The thing, and I don't want to get too nuanced here because we don't know what's, know what's going to happen with Jason Zucker yet. Both Sullivan and uh, Kyle Dubas said that the door isn't closed on Jason Zucker coming back even after Smith has been brought in. But one of the things I think in an overall value standpoint, I don't know that Smith and Zucker are entirely different. But the thing about Zucker is that he was really good at and is really good at creating chances for himself and scoring. But he's not the most adept playmaker in the world. And I have a feeling that the Penguins want to get they want to lean into Evgeny Malkin's finishing ability. So I, I have a feeling that it was appealing to them to not only get a guy who could contribute individually off the rush, but is also going to be able to set up Malkin because whether it's Brian Rust or Ricard Raquel, neither of those guys are, are you know high-end playmakers either. So I think that they wanted to get someone who can make a little bit of magic happen off the rush with Malkin as well. Um, just a little more on Smith. One of the things I found interesting is that both – Sullivan and Dubas mentioned his uh, defensive play. I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there. I I honestly can't say I've I've done enough of a, a scouting report on his de- his work in the defensive zone. What I can say is that over the past three seasons, his defensive impacts at even strength have graded out as replacement level. Now, again, defensive skill, whether that be blocking shots, intercepting passes, whatever it might be, that doesn't necessarily always translate to good defensive impacts. But I think what they might have been referring to a little bit more is his work on the penalty kill, because despite his replacement level impacts and even strength defensively, he actually has been very, very effective on the penalty kill. And I think that that's something that is you know, rather enticing for them because they need a guy who who has that versatility. He's going to he can play on the second power play unit and produce there. Uh, the Golden Knights like to use him as a trigger guy because he likes to take a lot of one timers. He's very, very good at getting the puck off his stick in a hurry. He can one time and one touch the puck, even if it's in, you know, unideal spots. So. I like the fit. I think that if they can find a way to bring Zucker back too, that would be awesome and give them a lot of flexibility as to what they could do with their line combinations. And they might be able to optimize Crosby and Malkin's uh, deployment by having another option like Smith being able to go on the penalty kill and being able to move him around the lineup. So I think it's going to be a good addition. I am a little concerned that he is 32. um, But again, you look. What are you shaking your head for? Because that's something a lot of people said, like, oh, my God, he's 32. He has two years left. What? Two years from now, is any of this going to matter? Like, the well, windows no, but, make those going to be bad. But I, I, I don't think I, he's going to slow. He just – he was putting up points on a cup. He played until June. I think I think he handled it pretty well if you look at what he did playing. No, no, that, no absolutely. And, and what I was just about to say is that you look at the, at the free agent market, they weren't going to get a player as good as Smith at, at a $5 million cap. It. So that's something to consider. However, I, I just, 
something about wingers who aren't high, high end that are over the hill and over the age of 30. Oh, I, I shouldn't say over the hill, over the age of 30. <laughs> they, you see it all the time. These middle six guys and, and Smith is a middle six guy at, at this stage of his career. You see it all the time where these guys just fall off a cliff. So that's that's something that's always in the back of my head with regards to these acquisitions. That being said, I think Smith's skill set might be able to help him prolong that a little bit further. And at the end of the day, I, I really like the acquisition. Yeah, I mean, and. You know, I because I asked Dubis like about the like, does this have it affect Zucker at all? And like you said, he said this certainly doesn't close the door on Jason Zucker. Now we're recording this Friday. Free agency opens at noon tomorrow. By the time you're listening to this, we might know exactly what it, you know how things played out with Zucker. But um, he said he was pretty clear that the Riley Smith trade is just about uh, adding depth. Maybe if they can find a way to move out uh, Mikhail Granlund, then. Uh, he steps into that role on the third line. I don't know what Mikhail Granlund's role is. I, he never really had one. He, he had a couple. He didn't do any of them particularly well. If if Riley Smith comes in and replaces Mikhail Granlund on the third line, that's pretty good. But we'll have to see. So. Um, speaking of Mikhail Granlund, a uh, little bit to talk about there. A couple of other uh, free agency type things to talk about. We're going to talk about the next segment. We're going to take a break first, so stay with us. We're back. Uh, so Friday uh, was the day that the last buyout window closed. So the NHL, you can buy out players. You can only do it certain times a year. There's only one buyout window for everybody. Uh, the second buyout window maybe opens up. The way the second buyout window would open up, you have to have a player. Go, so one of your pending, one of your RFAs, elect salary arbitration. And whether it goes, it's either if it's settled or awarded. So if you settle just by them electing arbitration, if you settle before then, or if you actually go through the arbitration process and it's awarded, then a, a second buyout window opens up, but it's only for players who make over $4 million. So that would, why are we all talking about this? We've talked about potential buyout candidates. Obviously, none of them got bought out. The Penguins didn't use any of their... They're, they're buyout. They didn't, they didn't buy anyone out. People talk about Jeff Petrie. The term Jeff Petrie has left. That never made sense. People talk about Jeff Carter because they don't understand that you buy him out. You don't get any cap relief because he's on a 35 plus contract. The one that really made any sense at all was Mikhail Granlund. He has two years left, $5 million cap hit. The way a buyout's um, done, it's uh, paid out. So you, you, you pay him two thirds of the remaining salary and it's paid out over double the length of the year of, of the years remaining. So it would have been over four years. The cap, the cap, it varies. Um, the penalty varies from year to year. Next year, it would have been at its cheapest, uh, just a little over 800,000. So that's a ton of savings. Uh, they didn't end up doing it. Not too much of a surprise. Kyle Dubis in his pre-draft press conference was asked about like any buyouts coming. And he said, he doesn't really like buyouts. The one time they did use a buyout in Toronto was uh, it was uh, there are weird situations where sometimes you make a buyout and it gets you a cap benefit, um, like it adds. Um, so it, it, you don't you don't have that penalty. So that's the only time they did it. What he spoke about is that there's more creative ways to unload 
problematic contracts is the way he described it. Like you look at uh, like Patrick Marlowe, they traded Marlowe to Carolina. So Carolina could buy him out um, stuff like that. So, I mean, a buyout's still pretty like, that's a severe kind of choice to make. Just like the ramifications for four years. Mikhail Granlund wasn't great after the trade deadline. It was also a very small sample size to make such a drastic decision over. I think maybe they still try to move him out um, this summer and free up that $5 million. If not, I don't, he's, I don't think he's, he's, he's not going to be worth the $5 million regardless, but maybe he balances back to the level where it's like, it's not an issue. And he, he scores. It's hard to score less, I guess, I think, than what he was doing uh, after the trade deadline. But maybe maybe he does have some sort of a comeback season. Thoughts on not buying out Mikhail Granlund? Uh, I have made it abundantly clear on this podcast and in my writing that they should have just bought him out. The, I, I wrote it the night that they acquired him. Even in a best-case scenario, Granlin playing at, at the peak of his abilities is not a good fit for the Penguins and what they need. I would have moved on from him. You you said it in the last segment. It's not going to matter in, in you know two seasons what Riley Smith's cap hit looks like or, or whatever. Why would it matter that they're paying 1.83 uh, or, or they're on the, on the hook Geez, I cannot talk. The uh, the Nash the couple days in Nashville really got to me. If you guys haven't been able to tell by this point, um, but the, <laughs> um, the, the first year of the buyout, the Penguins would have only been on the on the hook for eight hundred and thirty three thousand uh, dollars of a cap hit for him, which would have cleared over four four million dollars in cap space. Well, if you're trying to maximize next season as your competitive window, I, I don't see how you pass that over. And again, with the cap expected to go up here in several years, I really don't see the 1.83 million cap hit that they'd be on the hook for afterward. I don't really see that being all that big of a deal. And I know everybody's like, oh yeah, well, why would you do that with Jack Johnson coming off the books? Jack Johnson's buyout finally coming off the books. I'm trying to maximize this window and I feel like clearing the most cap space, which unless they're going to find a taker to take him on at, at a $5 million salary for two more seasons, which I, I really don't see that happening. I mean, maybe Chicago, they're handing out crazy contracts, $4 million to Corey Perry, $4 million to Nick Felino. Um, but at that point, if we're talking about, retaining salary on Granlin, like retaining 2 million for the next two seasons at that point, why not just buy him out? Because you're probably not going to have your competitive window open in that second season anyway. Yeah. I think it's, they can still try to move him out. Um, even if you, you know, like a, like a deal like Vegas just made with the Penguins. Uh, moving on from Granlin, another uh, deadline on Friday, busy day. Um, qualifying offers were due for restricted free agents. So these aren't actual, I mean, they, they are like contract offers. A player can just sign the qualifying offer. Um, but this is just to retain their negotiating rights. So they don't become an unrestricted free agent when free agency opens July 1st. Um, so the Penguins made qualifying offers to Drew O'Connor, Ty Smith, Jonathan Gruden, Philip Hallander, Philip Lindbergh. Now the last two quick Hallander Lindbergh. I know, I, you feel like you look at the comments, the replies on social media, and they're like, you idiots, they signed in Europe. Because um, they did, Hallander signed a five-year deal in Sweden, Lindbergh, I, I believe it's a two-year deal in Finland. Um, 
this just retains their North American signing rights in the event that they do want to come back at some point. Calendar, it's a five-year deal. That's a long time from now. You, you retain their, if you do this, you retain their rights until they turn 27. For Hallander, I believe this would be, uh, no, this would be until he his, he's going to turn 27 while he's in Sweden. So it would be like if for some reason he doesn't finish his contract and Sweden wants to come back. Lindbergh, it would just be for the, I, th- I believe it's one year after his this deal he just signed expires. No downside to doing this. It's not like it takes up any space or money or anything like that. Just a formality. No reason to spend too much time talking about it. Um, I did like a, um, uh, we both wrote about like what to do with the, with the free agents, obviously Drew Connor, bring them back. Uh, I, I did one focusing on the minor league guys. You focus on the NHL guys, Ty Smith, obviously you want to keep him in the system. Um, Jonathan Gruden, he was one that I was like, yeah, you, you, you try to bring him back to just, he didn't look out of place when he came up during the season. Um, he's not ever going to be like a super flashy prospect. The comparable in, in Wilkster is always like a Teddy Bluger type of player with his defensive abilities, his PKing. Um, not it, kind of a boring prospect, but I guess one you need because he can be kind of reliable. Um, if they're yeah, he's, him. He, he's not the kind of guy that's, that's going to push for a roster spot or anything, but he, he's a, a serviceable option if, if they're, you know, light on forwards and they need someone to come up and play six, seven minutes on the fourth line. He'll be fine. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, no problems with any of the, the qualifying offers they made. You look at the ones they didn't make. Um, first, there were three in the in the minors, um, all defensemen. And when I did my thing, looking at the the, the options, the, the free agents down there, I said, yeah, you, you pass on all these guys. Colin Swoyer, he was one of the he, – he, this was just his first year. They signed him last year. They signed six free agent prospects, undrafted or unsigned last year. Colin Swoyer was one of them. Um, defenseman out of Michigan – tech um he wasn't didn't have a great year healthy scratch in and out of the lineup um when he wasn't he was a third pairing really didn't show anything we he, we were talking about this before we recorded he was like the best player on the ice in that in that prospects challenge game in september against the sabers prospects maybe with the exception of nathan legray who also didn't have a great year so that just shows how much weight you can put into those kinds of things but yes we're gone free agent um, Peter Deliberatore, if you're like, who's that? Because he was barely in the system. That it was the guy they got in the Teddy Bluger trade. Um, really didn't seem his first game. It was the AHL Outdoor Classic. He scored a goal. Oh my god! Uh, and then he just kind of really didn't do anything after. Should have retired after that game. <laughs> um, really didn't do anything after that. He ended up finishing the year in Wheeling. They, they sent him down. I, even when they got him um, from Vegas, he had split the year between the Henderson Silvers and their ECH affiliate Savannah Ghost Pirates. What a what, what name that organization that with those it, it, it wasn't even that he split the season. He started the year out in the AHL and they got demoted. <laughs> so that that is an important caveat there as to the uh, the outlook of Peter Dilibert. 
I can't. Nashville, yep. I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do this it. This podcast is brought to you by the Miranda Lambert Bar. Peter Dillard, yeah. This isn't like, he was not the return in the Teddy Bluger trade. No. The motivation in the Teddy Bluger trade was a cap dump. Now they did use that on Mikhail Graham, so that wasn't that great. But if you look at it, it is Teddy Bluger for Riley Smith, as we talked about. Pretty good trade. Deliberatory, that's a wash. Um, other uh, defense prospect, they're, they're letting go Josh Maniscalco. Zero surprise there. He was another one that I was like, yeah, you, you don't bring him back. At the time, he was like a, a very like big, they, it was a really hyped up signing um, out of ASU. They only, he was a sophomore when they signed him. He left, like it was like, you know, the COVID delaying the college season. That's kind of what led him to to leave early, but like, so that was under, that was under Rutherford. Um, they had been looking, they had been trying to get Maniscalco for a little while. They just had to kind of talk him into like leaving school early. Um, never worked out. I mean, the, so three years, the first year that was like the, um, the shortened COVID season in Wilkes-Barre, um, the 2021 season, he was in Wilkes-Barre the whole year. I think he played eight games. He it, healthy, healthy, just healthy scratch. It, which I don't, I, I still don't know why they never sent him down to Wheeling. I guess they thought like whatever he needed to work on. It sounded, it, you know, you talk to like you know like JD Forrest, Wilkes-Barre's coach, and you ask really about like what's going on with these guys and like Maniscalco when he's not playing. There, especially in the pros, in the minors, the coaches are not going to like really rip on like these guys' weaknesses. They kind of like skirt around it. Um, it just means they're not good. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he just wasn't good. It sounded like he just kind of had issues just following a system. Um, like it, offense, no, no issues. That was always like, that was kind of why he stood out at ASU. Um, play on the other side of the puck, like really non-existent. And he is a defenseman. Um, and then he, the, so barely played during the COVID year, just kind of practiced with the team and watched the games. And then, not this past season, the one before that, he was in wheeling most of the year, came up a couple games. He was uh, putting up a ton of points in wheeling, but again, not really a lot on the other side of the puck. Now, this past past season, again in wheeling, pretty much the entire season, he did make kind of major strides on the other side of the puck. started being one of their better penalty killers too. That's something he was never doing, but again, that's in wheeling, uh, not enough to, to earn just another contract. Um, when I'm talking about, they hype this guy up. Mario Lemieux was making pitches like, cause they're, 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 try, they're, they're courting Maniscalco trying to get him to sign. Mario Lemieux was personally calling Maniscalco. Mario Lemieux played a pretty major role in that too, because that's when Austin Lemieux was playing at ASU. So Mario saw Josh Maniscalco a lot. Uh, and he's like, that guy, Penguin, didn't work out. Um, the one n- player that didn't get a qualifying offer that's a little bit of a surprise is Ryan Paling. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this doesn't preclude them from, from signing him. Sometimes they do this with the guys so they can't elect arbitration. And also because when you make a qualifying offer, it does come, it, it does come with a raise. Um, so maybe if they, they, you know, those are two reasons why a team might avoid making a qualifying offer, but they do still want the guy back. 
Um, I'd like to see Ryan Palin come back. I know that people talk about the injuries throughout the year uh, that he, you know, he was in and out of the lineup most of the year. Um, I can tell you the injury situation is not something that I'd be concerned with. Knowing what it is, it's not something that's like a chronic. So I, I, I don't think that's an issue. Um, it's not a chronic injury that kept him out. So, uh, I don't know. I'd like to see him come back. It, great piece for the third, fourth line when he was healthy. I thought, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still feel like it might, this might have to do with health concerns. I mean, it's not like he has this glowing potential arbitration case. If it were to get to that point, he, he missed a good chunk of the year. He didn't put up a, a ton of points or anything like that. Um, so I, I don't know if that does have something to do with his injury. I mean, Regardless, um, I'm with you. I I think he'd be a fine depth piece for the Penguins next season, whether it's on the fourth line, on the wing, or playing center. Uh, There was a point last season, even when Paling was dealing with a bunch of injuries, that I suggested the Penguins move on from Bluger and and usher Paling into his role. He he plays with a lot of pace. He's not the most skilled guy, but he's shown that he can can put the puck in the back of the net a little bit. Um, And I think he made some pretty good strides on the penalty kill as well. Not a spectacular player. Never gonna, never gonna live up to the the expectations he set from his NHL debut when he lit the world on fire. Um, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like you said, the the door is not shut on him coming back. But this is a uh, it's a little suspect to me. Yeah, a little little interesting. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, last peach at peach Marina Lambert now. <laughs> Um, last piece of news I wanted to touch on. Uh, I covered the NHL awards in Nashville. I like how they do that this year. Um, awards in the draft are in the same place, so it's easy to cover. Uh, Chris Letang won the Masterton. Zero, zero surprise there. Um, very deserving. I mean, the other, the other two nominees, crazy seasons too. Clayton Keller, he had fractured. It was his femur. The, the May... Bef- was it no, it was March. Coyotes are playing me. Um, in March, six months of rehab, and then he played all eighty-two games, and you know, tied the Coyotes team um, single-season point record. Great year for him. Staylock, um, Blackhawks goalie. He in nineteen twenty uh, twenty that season, the nineteen twenty season. Um, he got COVID and he got myocarditis from it. Um, so. He missed with that. He missed about, he didn't play in the NHL for two years. And he also had like a vision problem and concussions. He dealt with a whole, with a whole slate of things. But I mean, Chris Letang, the stroke in a span of four weeks, he had a stroke. He broke his foot and his dad died. And then you also figure he's, um, what is he? 35 now, 36. Um, Mm -hmm. Just and for him to have the year he he had, I think he finished tied for tenth in average ice time per game. His overall fitness level, the master it's the sportsmanship, dedication to hockey. There's there's no better pick, and it's pretty cool to see the way the NHL presented it this year. Um, they had each team was invited to to bring someone out to to introduce this the guy's story. So they come out. 
the Blackhawks and the Coyotes have their team doctors out there introducing, you know, Stalock and Keller's stories. And the Penguins picked P.O. Joseph. And P.O., like, we talked to him after, too, and, like, his hands were still shaking. It was like, he said it's easier to go out and block a shot than it is to go out there on the stage at the NHL Awards and, and, um, and do what he did. But he said he would do anything for Chris Letang. Um, so happy for Chris. Happy for, for P.O. to get through that. Happy for Alex Letang, who is always the star whenever he tags along with his dad for these kinds of uh, these kinds of events. It, he's I, obviously Alex Latang, Chris's son. Uh, he's ten. Obviously, a big hockey fan. Chris said that Alex almost asked Connor McDavid for his autograph in the bathroom. Um, and being on the red carpet was so cool because, like, Chris is you know the whole family walks the red carpet. Chris is signing autographs, and then you see like Alex is off to the side signing autographs himself. Like the fans want Alex's autograph, and then like at the end of red, the red carpet, like we, we interview Chris, but then like Alex is standing there like right next to him in his little he got like a tan suit that was apparently a replica of one Chris has that he wears during the season. Um, he did interviews and then, you know, the winners talk after the awards in the podium area um, downstairs. And so Chris comes right after he gets off the stage. So Alex isn't with him because Alex was in the, in the audience still a uh, member of the PR staff went out and got Alex and he bolted into the room and up to the podium. And there's, because it's Chris Letang, there's French speaking media there too. And, the French speaking media and the, and the, the Pittsburgh media were both asking Chris Letang, uh, Alex Latang questions. Um, and he's flipping back and forth between English and French. No problem. It is very, uh, impressive how much he, uh, how he handles the media. He's 10 years old, but I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. Yeah. If, so. if, if he, if his hockey career doesn't pan out, I, I bet he can find a career in Hollywood. No problem. Yeah, he uh, he definitely loves uh, the camera. 2019, the All-Star Game, that's when Chris brought him. And he, Alex first started taking over. So, I mean, when he was he would have been six then. The way that worked, like, Chris is at the, the podium, and he just brings Alex with him to, to sit on his lap. And we're asking Chris questions. And Alex just starts answering them on, on his dad's behalf. And he's like, oh, and, like, Chris was like, okay. And just picked up Alex, put him on the pod, and just kind of walked away. So we had a full, like, Six minute availability with with six year old Alex Latang, but I don't know. I mean, we saw him. Uh, the family skate the Winter Classic. Him and Nikita Malkin spent like the whole family skate just skating back and forth themselves, passing the puck back and forth. I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Dynamic duo. All right, that's the next core. Anyway, uh, thanks. That's it for this this episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, no, well, seriously, 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 thank you for listening to us babble through this because I legitimately feel like my brain is mush right now. So thank was, you. It was a long trip to Nashville, long night last night in Nashville, and then we flew, we just flew back to Pittsburgh uh, this morning. So uh, thanks for joining us. We're going to be back every well, most, most Friday. Take some time off moving um, forward. We'll have another episode. Next week, we're going to definitely have a lot to talk about between what happens in free agency and my Super Bowl development camp. So uh, looking forward to that. We drop episodes every Saturday. You can wherever you listen to podcasts, if you subscribe. Or if you want to watch this on video, if that's your thing, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Penguins YouTube channel, where we also drop all of our on-location interview videos and stuff we do like live q a's on there so if you subscribe you'll get notified and jump in when we do one we're gonna do one from 
development camp. So thanks again for listening and we hope you'll join us next week.